How important are the words circular economy to you? For me, in theory, this is about moving away from this linear model of produce, use, dispose to making better use of resources. On a practical level, this is about me as a consumer doing everything I can to limit waste. So how I use my food through to the packaging choices I make and really just making best use of things so they're not thrown away unnecessarily. But I wonder whether those words carry more weight for one particular area of the food industry, fishing and aquaculture. Farming fish has become the fastest growing food production method in the world. And that, of course, comes with its own problems. Diseases, extinction and waste. In previous episodes, we've heard about the mind-blowing tech minimising some of these exact issues in aquaculture. But today we're focusing on the sustainable solutions which are helping us move towards a more aquatic circular economy, where being more efficient with our precious resources is one of the key principles. Hi, I'm Matt Eastland and welcome to the Food Fight podcast. For this conversation, I'm joined by two aquaculture experts who know a lot about making the most of our resources. First of all, I'm joined by Emil Linfors, an aquaculture innovation researcher pursuing a PhD at the University of Norway. Emil's investigations focus on the emergence of novel production systems in the global salmon aquaculture industry. Emil comes from a background in innovation and entrepreneurship with close connections to the salmon farming and the aquaculture startup ecosystems. Emil, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you, Matt. And making a warm return to the podcast is entrepreneur, author and public speaker Tor Sigfersson. Tor is the founder and chairman of Iceland Ocean Cluster, a company creating value and discovering new opportunities by connecting entrepreneurs, businesses and knowledge in the marine industries. They help form cluster communities and invest their resources in new marine spin-offs and projects. Tor, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show. Good to meet you, Matt, again. Thank you. Let's kick this off. So every year, the global fishing industry generates more than 20 million tonnes of byproducts, I believe, something that we've read here, and the majority of which are being wasted. So I guess the, the main question around this whole podcast is how can we stop wasting fish? So maybe Tor, I can start with you. Is the key to sustaining aquaculture simply just about repurposing the squandered byproducts and waste? Or do you think we have to completely change the way we're fishing? I think it's a good question, Matt. And of course, uh, it's something that we need to look into carefully with regards to both wildcats and aquaculture. But in generally, I believe that the, the mindset has to change, first and foremost. We have to inspire both the fisheries and the aquaculture industry to look at these proteins as a, as a valuable resource. We know now for sure that in the, in the studies that we've done, that we're talking about maybe 60% of the fish often that is being wasted. And there is no waste in the seafood industry. There should not be any waste because these are proteins that we definitely need. So there is, I think the mindset is probably the most important. That's why this podcast is of importance and all our discussion in this field is of importance. I think the startup world needs to be brought into this picture as well. We have kind of silos in these industries. People are doing things quite well, but they just don't know better. Mm -hmm. Our work is to actually introduce them to all the other people that can empower them, all the other skills and knowledge that can empower them to change their behavior. 
Amazing. Thanks, Tor. So startups are, are going to be playing a huge role here. And and Emil, same question to you. Do you think this is about kind of repurposing what we're wasting? Or do you think we do need to take this sort of fresher approach that Tor's talking about? Well, I mean, I guess I can speak to this from a kind of aquaculture perspective, since that's uh, where I'm focusing on. And I guess what we can see is that, you know, fisheries, you have a certain kind of value chain where you go out far to sea and then you catch fish and then you bring it back. And then you build your kind of infrastructure around that. Salmon farming on the head is kind of static and you have farms at a certain place and you build your infrastructure around those uh, places. And we see in Norway now that that this kind of infrastructure is uh, expanding towards being able to repurpose a lot of the uh, of the waste products that we are generating here. So I think in in the Norwegian salmon farming industry, we're already kind of repurposing or reusing like ninety nine percent of the wow. byproducts because they are very valuable and and people realize that and uh, we also have strict regulations as well on top of that so i think that i mean there there's always the thing about uh, the circular economy is like you you may need i mean you can't endlessly recycle you need uh, an input somewhere mm -hmm. so where are those inputs going to be and how sustainable are they so that that's kind of uh, an essential question here i think and uh, so then we can kind of yeah comparing fisheries and aquaculture I guess that's a that's a tricky thing, and also like we have to define some things here, and uh, like what kind of fisheries and what kind of aquaculture we're we're talking about. I guess. Yeah. Thanks very much, Emil. And I think that's going to be definitely something we'll have a chat about in terms of how these things compare as we go through the show. And thanks both for kind of setting the context for our listeners. Tor, if I can go back to you, I mean, you were last on the show, well, well over two years ago, which is mad I, I can't believe that it's been such a long period of time it doesn't feel like that at all and, you know you were talking then about the fact that we waste so much of the fish going through all the various different processes and you just mentioned again that you think it's up to 60 percent at the time you were talking to us about the brilliant idea of being able to use 100 percent of the fish and I know that this is something that you're very passionate about turning waste into actual products. So would you mind just kind of catching us up on what's been going on at the Icelandic Ocean Cluster and your 100% fish project? Well, actually, what is so uh, great to tell you is that we are seeing this now in some sense, a movement that's going far above Iceland. So we're, we're learning from New Zealand about companies that are doing now leather in line with what we've been doing in Iceland, fish leather from the fish skin. We are hearing from the US companies that are really looking into all kinds of aspects of utilizing products that were previously defined as waste. And in Iceland, we, we actually, just two years ago, we actually, there was this opening of this new plant, for instance, that's taking around 3000 metric tons of fish skin to develop collagen. So there are so many new startups coming in, which is probably the, the most enjoyable part of my work now is to see all these people coming in with ideas and with skills and actually saying, how about, how about using the uh, liquid in the eye of the of a cod to, to do certain things? Or how can we take the enzymes from the guts of the cod or other species and, and work with them? And that is really important because what bothers me as well is sometimes that when we actually say that it would be enough to do fish meal from all the so-called waste. 
I mean that what we can do is to create jobs and opportunities in coastal villages all around. I would also like to say, Emil, I'm really pleased to hear that there is so much going on. This is not what we are seeing always in the salmon farming industry with regards to the 99% that you mentioned. Because the fact is, if I understand it right, and I understand it right, the salmon is still exported nearly fresh, not only just gutted to other countries where the restaurant is actually cutting off the head and cutting off all the, the rest and throwing it into the, the landfill. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid, Emil, that I would love to be able to say, at least in Iceland, that there's 99% utilization of the salmon. But my feeling is that here, as well as elsewhere, the problem is that we're actually exporting what's called whole fish. It ends up in the, in the dumpster in a New York restaurant or whatever. Yeah, sorry about that. You're completely right. I'm talking within the, the kind of the production value chain. And that's, of course, like uh, moving on to the, to the consumers, then repurposing that waste material is still, of course, a difficult task. And that, that's completely right. And I think that's also something that we see is uh, trying to do more, more of that work inside uh, Norwegian borders is something that's going on now. So they're doing more uh, filleting inside of Norway. So we don't export just uh, waste products, basically. But yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. But that's also like if if you it's a tricky thing though with the fish because it's uh, a limited uh, kind of uh, product in terms of uh, shelf life and uh, repurposing of, of the proteins because they uh, you need uh, somehow to get that back into an industrial process that might may not exist because this is uh, at least salmon is one of the most uh, traded goods in the world so it's been flown all over the world basically so it's very spread out Absolutely, Emil, I agree. And I think what we should aim at is basically also to save CO2 is to export the fillets, fresh fillets all around the world, rather than exporting something that ends in dumpsters all around the world. Mm-hmm. So that should be our mission. Mm. And uh, just to, to add something, if you want to move into a bit of the transport issue as well, is that we need to, of course, reduce the air freight percentage when we... That's also an, an interesting issue for the aquaculture and seafood industry because you have something that's as i said limited the shelf life and you need to bring it to customers far away so solving that problem is something i think a lot of of uh, heads are focused at right now and we see some interesting things i think that even one of the large incumbents here in norway are working been working with icelandic companies to do sub zero freezing of fillets so they can hold better and you transport less ice and things like that. So things are moving forward on that front as well, which is uh, super fascinating. I love the fact that you, you've both, you've jumped into solution innovation mode already. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 this is perfect. This is what I love about this show. So Emil, I just wanted for the listeners just to get a, a sense of, you know, exactly what, what it is that you're focused on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I know that you're equally interested in in creating change for this industry, specifically in offshore salmon farming, which is, of course, huge in Norway, where you're living. You're investigating novel production systems. So I wonder if you could just explain what does that actually mean? And do you have any exciting examples of this that you can point at? Sure. I mean, uh, I can tell you that the the PhD project, as I framed it, is called the dynamism of salmon farming production systems. 
toward a coherent understanding of territory, technology, and multiscalarity. So wow. let me unpack that because <laughs> yeah, uh, please do. that's a very scientific kind of uh, title. So basically what I'm kind of looking at is, uh, is understanding the salmon farming industry from a kind of a global and the local perspective. So, you know, the, the salmon farming industry is just spread out all over the world, but there's also a kind of a joint global industry where a lot of the multinational companies, they're spread out and exist in both Norway and in Chile and in Iceland and, you know, and we need to figure out um, what I want to do is figure out why change is happening and how kind of the industry is adapting towards challenges such as, for example, air freight and, uh, of course, pollution and and uh, and other, other things. Uh, so, so what I look for is kind of these kind of big system changes that we see, like the big industry. It's what I, I actually have three kind of trajectories that I want to look at, and that's uh, towards uh, offshore farming and then towards land-based farming and towards fishless systems, which would be like you, you switch out the fish towards something else, like producing salmon from carrots or from like this uh, uh, cells, uh, like lab-grown fish pretty much. Wow. So that's kind of the trajectories that I look at. And then I try to understand if they are like, are they more sustainable? And what are the, why are some territories moving in a certain direction and others not? Okay, that's fascinating. And just to pick up one area you mentioned there. So you say that salmon can be farmed on land and in open pens in the ocean. Are they both as sustainable as each other or not? And, you know, if one is more sustainable than the other, why are we still having both of them at the same time yeah that's uh that's a big big question and Another i would episode. say that uh, <laughs> <laughs> well i i would probably say that the, the salmon farming industry from the start it, it has always incorporated a land-based phase because salmon is anadromous it has to exist i mean the first phase is on land in freshwater and then at sea in salt water that's how the most of the of the salmon exist in nature although there are some some variants there, some of the fish never go back to sea and they are locked into kind of lakes and stuff. But generally that's how it works and that's how it always has been. So the idea has been like now to reduce the time that that the fish are exposed to kind of the sea and the natural environment means that we can maybe reduce some some of the challenges when it comes to kind of yeah pollution and, and parasites and, and things like that I've been struggling with for a while. And I think that uh, there's been, um, this has been something that they've been trying to do for a long time in other species. Also, I, I know in Iceland, for example, it's been uh, kind of far ahead there with some char facilities. And I mean, they have some natural advantages when it comes to kind of energy being cheap and the heat. But um, anyway, the last couple of, I would say like 10 years, there's been a, a big push towards land-based farming because uh, there's also been a simultaneously a lot of attention from outsiders, from outside industry for salmon being like a sustainable food. And then you see this kind of big uh, impact investors going ahead and seeing, okay, so how can we kind of get into this industry? And what we see now is that uh, like, it's really hard. The industry can't really grow in the sea anymore. There's some specific places like in Iceland, for example, where they still are growing or have been growing quite dramatically the last 10 years but in Norway the the growth has been like three percent the last 10 years 
So then you see like people looking at other alternatives, where can we produce the salmon? Because I mean, the, the customers want it, they, it's a huge demand. Uh, so then they're looking at uh, land-based. So we see uh, like the big flagship example is in Florida, Atlantic Sapphire has a big facility. They said they were going to produce 200,000 tons on land. I mean, they're not really at that level yet. I don't know how many tons they are at, but uh, at least it's going ahead. And we see a lot of others. I think the plant capacity on land was like 1.5 million tons or 2 million tons or so, because everyone wanted to get on board. It's like mm -hmm. uh, Bitcoin, I guess. So it's been pretty interesting. And then again, is it sustainable? Well, what is sustainability and what do you measure on? Because uh, there, there's a lot of um, things happening now that are making it uh, kind of difficult, like the energy prices are going up and then there's also kind of uh, value chain disruptions. And uh, I mean, the biggest source of, of carbon emission from, from salmon farming is still the feed. Right. And uh, I mean, fish on land still eat the same feed. Yeah. But what you can do is you can uh, reduce the waste, basically. Yeah. So, so that's a, that's a good thing. But then again, maybe you can do that on sea also, and that's something that they're exploring right now, like just catching the waste under the pens, for example. So, I mean, it, we don't have enough experience yet with land-based farms to say there's no complete analysis of 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 um, fully functioning system yet at full capacity. So, we really don't know if it's more or less sustainable. Okay. Thanks, Emil. And I mean, Tor, I'd, I'd be really interested to get your kind of view on this, particularly given the work that you're doing in Iceland. Is land-based an area of focus or actually in Iceland, are you still mainly focused on sea and ocean-based? Personally, I'm really worried about the ocean being the place for fish farming. Right. Especially with the open nets, we're seeing this valuable, amazing uh, stock of wild salmon being threatened. And I think we should look at it really carefully. Gladly in Iceland, we have actually isolated the majority of the coastline. So it cannot be used for any types of fish farming offshore. So we have only two places now, which is the, the West Fjords of Iceland and parts of the East Fjords. But we are still worried about uh, some of the natural possible disasters that could occur learning from our neighbors and our nephews and nieces in Norway as well, we are taking careful steps. So we, we estimate now that uh, we will probably reach maybe around 100,000 metric tons in 2030 with the offshore fish farming. I, on the other hand, I think that uh, the future of, of land farming is something that we should absolutely focus on right now. And we see lots of opportunities there. We, of course, as Emil mentioned, we have already quite an experience with both Arctic char and actually the first salmon farming on land in the world. So we have experience and we think that now we're seeing investors coming with quite amazing opportunities. What I like with the aquaculture industry as, as I see it now, especially the fish farming on land, is that they're actually approaching us now, the Iceland Ocean Cluster, and saying we want to be the 100% companies. And I know this is probably in line with what Emil is seeing as well in Norway, but at least I'm, I'm super excited to see companies like uh, Geo Salmo, which is the new company that is actually coming to us and saying, we want to do more. How can we let this process be the whole way, both in terms of the being on land, but also utilizing all these amazing proteins for 
to create both interesting jobs in coastal villages and also to create value for these companies. So I am absolutely for the land farms. I know it's still all kinds of risks regarding the economic model behind it, but we should definitely focus on that, at least from the Icelandic perspective, where we have these resources available in terms of the, the clean water and the electricity, which Emil mentioned as well, the, the power. So there are opportunities here to become much more uh, clean with our farming than I'm afraid the offshore will ever be. Yeah, maybe I can just comment a bit on an uh, alternative uh, view on a, another way to reach sustainability without going on land, because sure, I mean, I, I agree that is a pathway forward, but also you can see that some of them, if you have a fish farm at a good kind of locality in terms of it has all the kind of natural benefits around like good oxygen and, and water flow and so on, then you can have a farm that is very sustainable in terms of, because uh, you don't need to pump any water, you don't need to use any kind of excess electricity and so on. So if you can, in a sense, use that and then reduce the environmental impact at sea, then you have uh, another way to kind of reach something that's sustainable because you don't need to kind of use land area as well because that's I guess it's another talking point uh, for a lot of the people advocating sea-based farming is you take up valuable land space and you produce salmon where it's not uh, yeah usually produced in without its natural environment but you know one thing you could do is going into these kind of uh, integrated multi-trophic aquaculture systems that people have been trialing for a while now and that it would be like a circular economy approach where you integrate multiple species into one production system so you usually have like one species that you feed and then you have other species that uh, are feeding on the waste from the fed species right. so it's uh, kind of a circular economy where you for example would have uh, salmon that you feed and then you have mussels that eat the kind of particular waste from the salmon and then you have kelp that absorbs the kind of inorganic waste that's leaking out at sea so that's something that's been kind of exciting but we are still early on in those developments as well so we still there's very exciting research on kind of incorporating the bottom, the benthic part of this ecosystem as well. So you get to utilize everything that falls down. And then there's a great research here in Norway between Leroy and, and IMR on, on kind of polychaetes. So that's bristle worms that are under the sea pens and they can actually eat and absorb the nutrients. And then you can kind of potentially harvest those uh, and bring them back into the fish feed, for example. And that's uh, things like that are very interesting because that's a, maybe a, a more biological approach towards sustainability. Okay, thank you, Emil. It's super interesting. And I guess listening to you both, I sort of picked up on a couple of things that I'd just like to ask you. So can you break it down for our listeners? So what are the most sort of wasteful or unsustainable parts of for example, tour open water fishing and then email versus fish farms. And so I think this is the kind of thing that most people never get to really understand. So tour from your perspective in open water fishing, what are the areas that really need focus and attention? Well, in the case of Iceland, we believe that the biggest thing here is, of course, these open nets 
there have been accidents, serious accidents, not only in Iceland, but in Chile, in Scotland, and of course in Norway, which have led to serious damage to our natural stocks, the wild salmon stocks. And so we should be first and foremost obsessed with that, I feel. Number two, I think we can compare land farming with offshore and we will find pros and cons regarding the environment. Of course, in Iceland at this time, we have, of course, lots of natural resources to deal with still. But I agree with what Emily is saying, and that's probably the challenge for us is actually to, if we're comparing these two, we can actually say that both have sort of negative and positive impacts in terms of the CO2 issues. And But re regarding the, the circular economy, we can come with solutions from the land farm perspective that are absolutely, I think, quite circular with the RAS system, closed systems. We have an opportunity to really take the land farming all the way. We can do, of course, closed cages in the ocean, which would, is a technology where Norwegians have been in the forefront as well. And I think that's something that we could look at. If you are here in, in the Icelandic winter storms, you might actually have doubts that you will ever be able to have closed systems in, in the oceans in Iceland. but. Mm. It is something that's absolutely, we are really looking forward to seeing how the Norwegians have been, how they will develop further these closed systems in the ocean, which in many ways might be really sensible. Once again, I'm a little bit afraid that the winter storms in the Arctic are going to be tough for us in any way. Thanks, Tor. And, and Emil, can you just sort of touch on that? You know, uh, what sort of learnings are there in these closed water systems and from salmon farming? You know, what are the areas of unsustainability that you would really like the industry to focus on? Okay, first with the, the closed systems, I see that's something that's been uh, very important in the last couple of years for the industry as a kind of strategy to mitigate the salmon lice disease. And that's something that the industry is really struggling with and has been doing for a long time. That's how they actually regulate the industry now is the number of salmon lice that are attached to the salmon. That's something that uh, is of a hyper focus for all the companies now is to reduce those numbers. And of course, having a physical barrier for the salmon lice would solve that. But again, a physical barrier to the surrounding waters also means that you need to pump in water, you need to control the oxygen and you need to be more kind of you have a a more controlled system at sea and um, that also leads to of course you can recapture more of the waste and so on and that's great but i see it's still a very we have been i mean trialing for a long time in different shapes and forms and i think there's some positive evidence on it working really good but it gets difficult when you get to the sizes of like a salmon farm in norway may have like three thousand tons of fish which is maybe more than some countries produce mm. altogether. And then you need, if you should put them all into uh, closed systems, then you have, uh, you may have some issues just in terms of just uh, managing all the oxygen and all the kind of environmental variables. But there's uh, promising results and we see new companies coming into the picture and they're doing great stuff. And I agree with Tor that, I mean, winter storms and having these kind of closed systems, that's going to be a challenge. That's the same with kind of offshore systems that they're producing now. It's like, how do you actually create something, a structure that can withstand kind of the North Sea. I guess that's where kind of Norway is coming from now is like we have a long history of oil production and oil extraction and these kind of offshore structures there. And that's something that they've been utilizing to build the kind of offshore 
salmon farms, uh, that knowledge. But still, I mean, it, it's another like talking about uh, startups, like how do you as a startup get into an industry and where you need kind of a billion dollars to get started? That's kind of an issue. So I have a lot of friends who work as kind of startups in the, in the industry. And that's what you get is kind of the scraps. You get to kind of to work on, on small solutions because it's a kind of closed space because there's so high tickets to entry, barriers to entry. It's like, uh, firstly, you can't really get a license. And secondly, the capex cost of starting a fish farm is really high. And that, that's unfortunate. But uh, I guess the me- mechanics of, of uh, food production means that you need to kind of have a large production to be profitable, especially if you have a, a product like salmon, which is like a commodity. So people are not really good at uh, differentiating out in markets. And, but that's something that I think the industry is going to kind of look forward and looking into. And that's something that Tor, I don't know if you've seen uh, that working for, for you guys into differentiating like uh, cod and, and, and other whitefish to kind of incorporate this kind of uh, environmental footprint and, and if customers are actually willing to pay for that. Because that's, again, I mean, everyone would love to have a sustainable industry, but when, when consumers are not really there and, and pushing the, the industry, then you need to kind of have uh, local regulations to do it. Because what we see is like people just want to eat cheap fish that tastes good. And that's that. And is that your ex- is that your experience, too? Well, I mean, you have a good point there, but I think it's changing quite fast now. I was just talking to the former chief of sustainability at Thai Union, which is the largest seafood company in the world, and and she says that it is quite Darian McBain. She's actually saying that she's such a huge difference in terms of the views of the in the market, especially, of course, with the retailers, but not least consumers are asking much more questions. So it's only a question of time when these changes will occur. I agree with you, Emil, as well, on the problem of getting into the industry, especially into the production or even the fishery. But what's interesting now is that many of the companies that started with these minor ideas they were thinking of in terms of utilizing some of the byproducts. One company now is actually becoming only using around 0.04% of the stocks, fish stocks in Iceland, to take fish skin and develop medical products from it. A company called Keresis is now one of the most valuable seafood company in Iceland. Wow, really? This shows us what we can do. They're doing skin graft for medical purpose, allowing a natural skin to regenerate using the, the caught skin as a healing process. So it just shows us that we have these amazing opportunities if we mix things, we mix ideas and mix these skills and try to break out. And I think the aquaculture industry has been better in it than the wildcats part. But I think what's interesting for me now is that that's what I'm learning from talking to people uh, from various countries and various companies in seafood is that they're actually learning quite a lot from agriculture now, the wildcats. And I think they will, in, in many ways, they can inspire them to do better with what they have, understanding that there is value in these products. So, and I hope also, of course, the Icelandic industry, which is now up to 90%, as we've estimated it, in terms of the usage of the, the cod, we are hoping to be able to also inspire others to do similar things. Amazing. And I really hope, I really hope you do, Tor. And I, I guess that makes me also think about another question you know so in the future do you think that being circular will be a requirement for 
well, every aquaculture business, but maybe, you know, every kind of business involved in the fishing industry as well? Do you think this is just going to be something which is baked in from the start? What I want to say is that I think this is actually going to be definitely a requirement. But the good thing is we find this suddenly becoming a part of the DNA of companies. Mm -hmm. I remember so vividly just a few years ago when when a CEO of a, a seafood company outside of Iceland told me that the people had been working on some kind of a social report for the fishing company. And they came to him and said, you need to write like a, a piece there, introductory piece. And uh, he said, what is that? He said, they said, this is actually the strategy, the major strategy issue is to have you to say something. And he said, I don't have time until like next week. And they said, we actually have a cut and paste version for you. It's like that the sad thing about these reports in the past were that these were just makeups. Mm. But now we're seeing it trickling down and up in these companies. So it's a completely different approach. What we still need are the small companies. The large companies are all getting more involved, but the small companies need to be more focused. And what we, I think we need to do is to get them to collaborate much more because they have limited manpower to take these uh, circular steps. And if we let them collaborate, maybe only to start with on marketing and sales, it could lead for them to understand the value of the uh, collaboration. So that's something that I think is the crucial part here is to involve small and medium-sized companies in this movement that's actually taking place right now. I can just follow up on that because that's a great point, Stor. And I guess uh, I wanted to say that I, I worked for an aquaculture kind of incubator called Hatch. And it was something that I did when I was studying aquaculture. And then they came to Bergen and they saw this kind of vibrant ecosystem of just a lot of people or fish nerds basically just being super excited about the technology and fish and stuff and they were like yes this is where we want to go and then they hired me to work there for a while and we brought in companies from all around the world to bergen to kind of engage with the salmon farming industry and there was companies from like the us and indonesia and uh, from all over the place it wasn't very interesting experience because while I was working on that, we also saw there was a bit of a, there's some friction of uh, like a knowledge gap in a sense of uh, trying to like the incumbent companies, they need to learn how to work with startups. And uh, it's like huge. This industry is not easy to produce fish. It's a very demanding operation and there's a lot of stuff happening all the time. And then you need to pay attention to startups and students. And, and that's maybe not something that they've been used to. But I think that they're learning now that they need to kind of keep people that are actually more engaged with the community around them. And, and that's something I think we will need more of in the future because I think before they've always been like, yeah, we're the industry, we're going to solve this ourselves. And um, they talk among themselves, of course, and do research projects. But uh, letting the small guys, in a sense, get involved is something that I think that we are advocating for at our research center at the Moon Center, we, we've kind of focused on responsible research and innovation. And one of the key points there is just involvement of different stakeholders and the, a collaborative process. And of course, you know, it's easy to say, but uh, also kind of facilitating these areas where you kind of get people together. And that's something that like clusters, uh, that's a strategy that Norway has been uh, championing for a while now and has been working out 
very good in one sense, but also I think that the startup scene in the seafood clusters have maybe had a, a bit of difficult time, but I guess that's the learning point here, you know, mm. and also like linking together different kind of um, parts of the value chain. And I would also say like, uh, for example, called and the actual kind of components that you get, because we see more focus here on the kind of uh, biotechnology and then linking across value chains and then just uh, what can we do with these kind of components that we are creating and and kind of recombining that into, I mean, I was in, in San Francisco a couple of years ago to study cell-based seafood, and then they kind of are used producing uh, seafood from the components, uh, in a sense. And and th that's an interesting kind of take on, on kind of circular economy. This is a lovely transition, actually, Mil, because I really wanted to ask you both about sort of the startups and the tech that are really exciting you in this space, particularly ones that are really focused on circular economy and, and reducing waste. I mean, Tor, I know that this is an area that you love and you're a real specialist in. So, I mean, is there, are there any kind of startups and tech that you're super excited about in this space that actually you think are going to go the distance? Well, actually, in the wildcats, I think the most exciting part for me now is a company or a few companies in the world that are working on uh, completely changing the the way we catch wild fish right meaning that we're moving from the nets and the dragging on the seabed which is actually destroying a lot of our natural environments over to maybe using lights to do the same so this is one of these areas and i agree with what emily is saying though that the challenge for these companies is to actually get investors involved because they don't know that much about the ocean and they don't know that much about seafood, mm. at least in terms of the wildcats. And they feel a little yeah. bit distant. They are more into the biotech sector, the IT sector, etc. We're trying to tell them if you want to really to be an impact investor, you should look to some of the ocean startups that we have in our books right now. This is just one of, one of the examples. I think also just to seeing some of these people that we never thought would be a part of the seafood industry. Being the pharmacists, being joining some of the companies saying, how about taking these proteins all the way? These are the natural, traceable, sustainable proteins that are not going to increase in numbers in the world. And they are still lying as a landfill in many countries. If we can't just use them and the fishery tend to get, at least in Iceland, they are getting quite excited about these new ideas and they're investing themselves in, in these new ideas. And that's probably for us, the tipping point right now right. is to see that actually the industry is getting involved directly to invest in some of these startups. That's amazing. And actually, you, you know, you, you talk about some of the startups out there that are looking at different ways of fishing. We actually had Dan Watson from Safety Net Technologies on the show. You know what they're doing in this space with, you know, using LEDs and different types of light to attract different types of fish absolutely fascinating and you know it's the kind of thing that just kind of blows my mind and emil on your side on the sort of salmon farming space is there any any tech that you're particularly excited about well i mean there there's always you know a lot going on and i think uh, digitalization has been the key kind of uh, focus in the last couple of years here i i mean i'm 
good friends though with the company Manolin and uh, they're doing great stuff on the digitalization. We had Manolin on as well, actually. So yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah of it's, course it's amazing how you all know each other <laughs> yeah, so well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay, so then I don't have to promote them anymore. I just uh, think they're doing great stuff and they're, they have a solid background in, in data and uh, technology and uh, are kind of using AI and the predictions. And that's really helping the industry to kind of learn also, like how can we actually use these kind of novel technologies uh, towards our benefits? And I think that's great. And uh, also I would say, I mentioned uh, Ocean Forest, like a joint uh, collaboration, which is a part of Leroy. And I think that's exciting because that's a small part, kind of a, a R&D spin-off focusing on, on circular economy, where they're actually using, and uh, they can use the, the, the strength of uh, one of the largest seafood companies in the world to kind of develop uh, something new. And that's why they're focusing on kind of how can we solve the, the issues of kind of producing seaweed at scale and blue mussel and the polychaetes. So I think that's super exciting. And I would also say, I mean, there, there's so many kind of niche technology stuff that's happening. But uh, I think there's, there's actually a Swedish company called uh, Gorge Fisk that I think have always been kind of interesting because they're doing kind of small aquaponic systems where they're producing used tilapia like everyone else, mm -hmm. but they have branded it in such a way that they can actually get a nice return on those uh, fish. And also they do some uh, African catfish and stuff. And, and they have an approach of just creating this kind of technology, like a modular system that they can use sell to farmers. And then you kind of, as a farmer, you buy a whole thing and then you start farming fish. And that, that's exciting. I, I, I don't know how they're doing right now, but I mean, things like that is, uh, gets me excited. Yeah, I love that. That sounds great. You know, farmers being able to diversify. And again, this is a topic we sort of touched on in a previous episode as well. Just to kind of, we're, we're sort of getting to the end of the show, both of you. And I, I just wanted to kind of come back to that sort of central question, particularly as this is an era right at the beginning of the show, you were both like, well, how far can this go? Do you ever think we can get to a place where we as well the whole industry is focused on like zero waste so a hundred percent fish utilization do you think that's possible because i mean i i know emil you were saying sort of potentially up to 99 percent in what you're doing but tor you i know you're focused on a hundred percent but i think you both had your doubts so tor maybe from your perspective do you think it's possible due to the fact that i probably have been more talking about this 100 percent fish than anyone else I am to blame if this is not the right strategy because <laughs> the one, one thing is that I believe it is possible. We are even seeing that the blood flowing being an opportunity in the, in the processing. Wow. But what we have to remind ourselves is that we should never think of something that's going to be called the 100% sustainable company. That would be a flaw. Mm -hmm. We need always to have companies, that that's what I feel around me, companies that actually are saying we are continuously improving all our processes to be as much sustainable as possible. But this is an ongoing process that's a part of our DNA. I believe this is possible and there are companies in Iceland that actually are doing very much in line with the 100% fish and there are growing numbers of companies coming to us from all over. We're working with the Great Lakes now in the U.S. on an amazing project where they're actually saying, can we take the lake whitefish and the Asian carp that's there, that's the carp it's called now, and develop products from all the parts of the fish. So this movement is just starting, Matt, and I think definitely 
this is going to, we are going to see huge changes in the coming years. And I hope actually, Emil, that in many ways, the aquaculture industry, we can learn so much from you, but you can actually learn a lot from the wildcats. And to combine these two is something that are skills from both ends, just as you're trying to do now, Matt, which I kind of like, because I'm more into the wildcats than, than the aquaculture piece. It's something that is of value to all of us. Hmm. I mean, so how would you do that? I mean, how do you, how do you connect those two massive industries together in a way that in a way that everyone's working towards this sort of zero waste approach. Uh, Emil, just from your side, what any thoughts on how that could happen? Well, I, I'd say that, I mean, it's like uh, sister industries or cousin industries, I would say. I mean, they have the same kind of uh, start. I guess there's a lot of, of companies that started as kind of doing fisheries and then going towards aquaculture or there are uh, like farmers going into aquaculture. So I would say it's like two entrants from the very start in Norway, like in the 50s and 60s. But I think there's still a lot of collaboration, you know, in, in terms of like uh, uh, slaughter and how you process the fish that's still going on. So uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's definitely viable to kind of look into that. I think it's just that it's been so much focus now on just getting the production right and used mm. to making it work for the last kind of 50 years. So, yeah. and it used to still dealing with all the challenges there that, uh, you know, it's been hard to kind of uh, getting to these kind of nice to haves like utilization hundred percent. I mean, I agree, we, we need to get there for sure. I guess it's the next step, but I think that those kind of cluster initiatives that we have uh, in both uh, Iceland and Norway and uh, collaborations there and uh, like networking across the industries is great because now we often see like conferences where it's either it's a fishing conference or it's an aquaculture conference, but uh, like a joint kind of conference or something like that would be interesting, focusing explicitly mm -hmm. on, on collaboration. I'll right. have a word with some colleagues and see if we can set that up for you. <laughs> That's great. And uh, also in terms of exciting stuff for the future, I guess I could also say, you know, about my work on, on cell-based and plant-based, that's another option of kind of reducing waste when you don't really have a, a, a fish or an animal anymore and you just produce the, the fillet, then you kind of have zero waste. But the problem is it's very new technology and it's, it's really kind of difficult and energy intensive. And I guess there's a trade-off here about control and... Um, energy and uh, kind of uh, how much of the waste stream you can can really capture because if you have full control of course you can capture everything but uh, i think that goes into like how, how much you invest have to invest to kind of get there and, and is that really sustainable as well so that's definitely know. an area that I, I know we'd we'd love to have a a deeper discussion about on the podcast at some point sort of cell-based fish which i think is a another fascinating space one for another time, I think. I mean, Tor, you know, what's next for you? You know, what's next for the ocean cluster? What's your big focus coming up? Well, I must tell you, I'm so proud of the fact that the U.S. Senate has a bill now, which is uh, which was introduced by Liz Murkowski, who's the senator for Alaska, where she is actually the bill announces the idea that there should be ocean clusters all around the U.S. Wow! And she actually she. She pointed at us at the Iceland Closing Cluster when she was here last time at the Arctic Circle and said, this is all your fault. <laughs> so we actually, we are so pleased to see that the, the, the movement is just starting and you, Matt, are basically also helping us in, in getting this message across. 
And uh, I'm so glad to meet now Emil and see that, of course, as I've seen before, Norwegians are full force into all these new ideas and we need to just try to figure out how to and, and sort of enlarge this uh, movement of ours. And I think the cleverest way is to actually begin from the bottom up, to get the grassroots going, get more dialogue between the environmental organizations and the fisheries. This is new from both sides. It's actually happening now in the, few, in the last few years that they are more in dialogue than ever before. So there are so many positive aspects that we're seeing in the industry. So I'm, I'm actually just looking forward to continuing on the track that we're on. With you guys on board, we can become the game changers with this 100% movement of ours. Love it. Such a positive message to, to kind of start wrapping up on it. And Emil, what's next for you? Uh, yeah, I have to finish my PhD, I guess. Uh, so still a couple of years there and uh, a couple more articles. So I'm actually now looking into kind of uh, land-based uh, salmon farming and that kind of uh, whole uh, journey. And that's been very fascinating, uh, as well as seeing this kind of build up towards people expecting 2 million tons on land towards now, yeah, seeing a lot of technical challenges and unexpected uh, kind of uh, unrealized technology that really didn't work out as we thought it would. And that's uh, super interesting. Uh, so that's something that I'm going to look into and then kind of figuring out how to kind of seem like is getting this all together into a coherent kind of uh, story about uh, how this kind of salmon farming industry works. But I mean, they're doing uh, great things here in Norway and it's great to be here. And, uh, and I think that like having Norway as a steward, because uh, uh, they are talking about being a, a steward for kind of sustainable ocean production. And uh, that's great because you see this kind of, it's a primary industry extracting resources from nature and that can very easily go wrong. Mm. But uh, if you have a, a country like Norway, uh, like a social democracy, that's the kind of uh, leading the charge here, then we can build in kind of sustainable practices, I think, in, in all territories across the world. Amazing. Another positive message there to finish on. So a lot of hope here, not not without many challenges, but it's great that you know, you have people like you both really leading the charge. So, you know, congrats and well done to you. And, you know, I hope that everything continues really well. Uh, just to finish off then, where can people find out more about you and what you do at all? What about yourself? Well, actually, just on our website, theoceancluster.is, probably the easiest way to access our material. My recent book was called The New Fish Wave, which is actually on Amazon. I'm actually working on the next one, which is actually wow. going to be published next year, where I'm going to hopefully get together some of the greatest thought leaders in the seafood industry, wildcats mainly, and talking to them about how, how they've done, how they're making a difference and how what other, for other companies can learn from them in terms of how they utilize their resources, how they treat their natural environment, etc. So I'm, I'll send you a copy when it's ready next year. Please do. And make sure you give us a shout when you're ready to talk more about it. We'll have you back on tour. That will be another another time. Be, love it. Absolutely love it. Appreciate it. Thank you. And, uh, and Emil, what about you? Where can people find out more about you and your work? I guess uh, LinkedIn and Twitter would be good ways to get in touch with me. Otherwise, go to Google Scholar and uh, search for my name, and then you'll find some of my articles. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay, well, thank you both. That just leads me to say a huge thank you to Tor and Emil, and thank you everybody for listening in. 
This has been the Food Fight podcast. As ever, if you'd like to find out more, head over to the EIT Food website at eitfood.eu and please also join the conversation by the hashtag EITFoodFight or on our Twitter channel at EITFood. And don't forget to hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. That's it for now. See you all next time. Thank you.